Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We're here to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastics pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive health issues, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. Now, let's listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on waste production. We're going to talk about a world consumed, learning to reduce your waste and your stress and save your health. The U.S. is the number one trash producing country in the world. Every year, the United States generates approximately 251 million tons of trash. And that's equal to 1,900 pounds per person per year, which is almost five pounds of trash per person per day. And less than one quarter of that is recycled. The rest of it is incinerated or buried in landfills or it's hanging out in our oceans and other waterways. And this means that we, 5% of the world's people, generate approximately 40% of the world's waste. And that amount is increasing because increasing affluence leads to more being consumed and lifestyles are changing. There's much more fast and convenient food that's eaten. And also there's new packaging materials and new technology is being developed all the time. But that still only puts a very, very tiny dent in the amount of waste that we produce. About a quarter of the waste in the average household waste bin is actually packaging waste. Throwing away things waste resources. It wastes the raw materials and energy used in making the items, and it wastes money. And disposing of waste has huge environmental impacts and can cause serious problems. Reducing waste means less environmental impact, less resources used, and less energy used, and it saves money. And there are many things one can do to reduce one's waste, and many local authorities have programs They're often involved with doorstep collections for recycling glass, paper, and plastic. And lots of other things can also be employed. Now, to help us unpack this issue and open our topic for December is Chris McDonald. Chris is a British scientist. He's an author and a filmmaker known for his work on ethics, health, and sustainability. As a filmmaker, Chris has worked on a broad spectrum of projects 
ranging from factual entertainment for the BBC, for ITV and Channel 4, to Hollywood feature films for Columbia Pictures, for Sony, and Universal. Now, as a scientist and writer, Chris's work has appeared in The Health Journal, The Ecologist, The Learning Mind, and The Mensa World Journal. Some of his contributions are a really cool article he did on takeaways from the recent 2019 Climate Action Summit. And he offered a a quote that I think is very appropriate, and it expresses what I thought about that summit as well. He says, this year felt different. Those speaking at the conference had clearly done their research. They seemed much more committed and more organized, and there were new tactics, such as filing for abuses of human rights. There were significantly more people who took to the streets in the lead-up to the conference. So it really did feel different. Some of Chris's other contributions are an article on air pollution and lower IQ, as well as one on can shift work cause cancer. So we're definitely going to have Chris back to talk about some of his other subjects. His latest book, Operation Sustainable Human, is a solution-focused four-step guide to combating climate change. And this book has been a bestseller on Amazon and is currently being adapted into a documentary, which we look forward to. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Benny. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Now, Chris, we understand that our population is indeed consuming far, far outside of our actual needs. And in turn, that's creating record highs of unnecessary waste. Can you tell us a little more about this trend of our overconsumption? Sure. There there are many compounding negative aspects with the trend of overconsumption, from natural resource depletion to unsustainable waste management. And I feel that an often overlooked aspect to that is how we transport our goods um, with consumption increasing. I think it's really important to consider how the items get from from A to B. The chances are that the vast majorities that fill our homes were sourced or manufactured in in another country, which results in a massive amount of emissions through international shipping. And one of the key issues with this is that, a bit like with aviation actually, as with aviation, the emissions can take place between countries. And as a result of that, they're often not considered as national emissions, which is a huge issue because the emissions from shipping are the equivalent to an entire country, which is a big issue if that's not included in the Paris Agreement. So I think that's also really important, Denise, I think, to consider how our items are transported. That's a great point, Chris. I don't think that most of us often bother to think about the emissions that are generated as a result of shipping the various things, products that we consume. We don't tend to think of that as pollution or as waste. Right. And I think it's a big issue because countries can kind of get away with not claiming it as national emissions. So so it's not included in things like the Paris Agreement. I also imagine it may be small as compared to the products, but I imagine there's just waste produced as a part of that shipping process. Things get broken, things get spoiled, etc. Yeah, exactly. That's another important thing to consider for sure. 
Okay, well, thank you. Now, I understand that the fashion industry is a leader in waste production in our world. So briefly, tell us about the facts and figures behind the waste in the fashion industry. Yeah, so fashion, the fashion industry is, is a great example of unsustainable consumption because we have things like paid influencers, social media posting, um, rapid trend rotations, and we, now we have very powerful targeted marketing. And the combination of all that means that we now purchase clothing at really unprecedented rates. And as a result, I saw in a study um, a few months ago that 100 billion new garments are created every year. And manufacturing is ramping up. So we're buying more items of clothing. We're wearing them less often. And in the vast majority of cases, we're not recycling them. So I think I also read that clothes are being discarded at the rate of an entire landfill truck every single second. And accordingly, fashion is one of the fastest growing categories of waste. And that fashion industry has a lot of other environmental impacts and effects other than just the the wasted materials and garments also. Uh, and we'll yeah, talk that, about that. That's a very good that's a really good point, uh, Benice, because it takes 2,000 2, liters of water to produce enough cotton to make a single T-shirt. And um, the cotton industry uses more pesticides than any other crop. The clothing industry is also a major source of greenhouse gases. It is a significant contributor to deforestation, and it's the second largest polluter of clean water. Those clothes that we women really, really love and buy a lot of can really cause a lot of negative impacts. I venture to say if you, you drew a circle and then you drew in lines that went out to various nodes of pollution generated by garments, you'd probably have about five or six other nodes, uh, not to mention the waste. That's, that's really incredible, and we just don't tend to think about that. A lot. So how is the waste from the garments, how is that representative of the daily consumer? I think it's a great example of consumer disconnect because when you go to the supermarket, you just see an item on a shelf. And when you purchase that, you wear it and then it, it lives in your cupboard afterwards. But we're not there at the source, so we don't see how it was created. Um, there's a great documentary, actually, River Blue, which infiltrates the, the leading textile factories, such as in Bangladesh, and they show the really irresponsible water pollution. And I think if people were almost forced to go to the source or if they could see it when they're at the shop, I think they would really think twice about purchasing the items. So I think the fashion industry is a great example of consumer disconnect. I think so, too. It's probably the number two behind packaging. We're going to continue this after the break. You have some very uh, some other interesting information that we want to talk to you about about the garment industry. We'd like to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and that includes the annual expo and conference in April, as well as EarthX Film, which operates year round with monthly movie Mondays. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Thank you. We're back with our guest, Chris McDonald 
a British scientist, author, and filmmaker. And we were talking about the huge amount of waste involved with our clothing, our garments. Would you say, Chris, that clothing or garments would be the number two waste production element in our society behind packaging? (laughs) It's very difficult to calculate, but it's... um... For example, it's certainly the second largest polluter of clean water. And I think it's another one of those things that's hidden in plain sight. People often don't consider clothing when they think of uh, greenhouse gas emissions and waste. It's definitely up there, I think. Exactly. Now, there's about 100 billion garments made every year. Do you have an estimate of the tonnage or amount of waste that's generated by garments? Oh, that's... I don't, but that'd be that's a good idea. Something I something I often try and do with my work is to um, translate these facts and figures into something very visual. So I often go for an object such as such as a truck or a building. But uh, looking into weight would be an interesting translation. Probably be a very large amount. Yeah, I have to think that some scientists or some researchers somewhere are probably doing that. I know in terms of plastic, they they have those kind of numbers because the sense is that when we produce those numbers, it does make uh, an impact on people. They can see how large the problem is. Now, what about garments being recycled, though? I have to think that that's a very good thing or useful thing to recycle. There would be so many other uses for recycled garments. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, that's definitely a great opportunity. Something I I like to think about is this idea that that I've heard about, the idea of pre-cycling, which is... um, even before you get to the stage of recycling, really considering whether you need the item in the first place. And with clothing, we have a lot of great resources from that because you can go into thrift stores and secondhand clothing. And there's a lot of avenues you can look to before even purchasing a new piece of clothing. So I think recycling is a really important aspect. And I'd probably push it a little bit further into the, this idea of pre-cycling and really think if we if we really need uh, the clothing in the first place, because a lot of it is responding to things like uh, rapid trend rotations, which are really a a very relatively recent invention, this this idea that you need to have um, new clothing every summer, for example. I do like the pre-cycling theme. I I can imagine Mm. a world and a day that perhaps when I buy this sweater or buy this blouse, then I can maybe look on the tag and be told that it will then be turned into what have you. Something like that could be interesting. Mm, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Now, Chris, we've been hearing about the term overshoot day when it comes to waste and overconsumption. Can you explain that to our listeners and why it's important and why it matters? Yeah, sure. So, Overshoot day is when resource consumption has exceeded the sustainable limit. And this means that when we arrive at overshoot day, um, we've used up the amount of resources that our planet can regenerate in a year. So when we pass this day, we are in, in ecological debt. So if we were a sustainable species, we would never see overshoot day because we would only be using a fraction of the Earth's annual resources. However, we currently see overshoot day at the end of July. And each year, unfortunately, it arrives earlier. So what that means is that once we've reached July, we've exceeded the biocapacity of what the Earth can regenerate. We've we've used more 
resources than it can regenerate in a year. So what that means is for us to just maintain our current lifestyles, we would need two planet Earths because we've effectively used up one Earth's worth of resources by July, and then we would need another one to continue uh, to the end of December. Okay, so what we're saying in theory, or according to this information, that in July of 2020, Mm -hmm. we will have used up the resources that we have produced for 2020. And, of course, we're going to continue to consume resources. So I guess that must mean then that we are then from July through December, we are using 2021's resources? <laughs> exactly, yeah. We would be using more than our planet can regenerate in a year. So so we're encroaching on um, bioavailability that would otherwise have been available for the, the next year. I think Earthshoot is a really great way to visualize the unsustainable nature of modern society. If people want to, it, it can be a bit complicated. So if people want to learn more about it, I think their website is overshootday.org. Um, and they've got a really great website where you can break it down by country or, or nation or, or continent even. Thank you. That's very interesting. Overshootday.org. And we will put that on our website and we will make a point to investigate it a little bit more during the month of December as we are talking about other specific topics related to waste production. Thank you, Chris, for bringing that up and explaining that to us. Now, in November, we focused on plastic pollution, and we dived into the waste that plastic creates. Can you give us some examples that might hit home with our listeners about the waste that is created by plastic? Sure. So for me, what really hits home, especially recently, is the fact that plastic is everywhere. And it's very hard to overstate that because in the last 10 years alone, we've produced more plastic than the previous 100 years combined. And as a lot of people know, we only recycle a very small percent. It's around 5%, depending on the study. So we've reached a level now where enough plastic is thrown away each year to circle the earth four times, and it can take a thousand years to degrade. So in many ways, it's not surprising that plastic really is everywhere. The latest studies show that plastic is now in the air that we breathe, it's in animals, it's in food, it's in water, and it's in us. A case study that I often like to cite to people is is that of, um, there's an explorer called Victor Boscovo, and he recently broke the world record for the world's deepest dive. And when he descended over 10 kilometers into the extreme depths of the uncharted ocean, where no man had ever been before, he he found plastic. And we've even started to discover plastic before we are released into the world, because over 200 chemicals, including BPA, which is a chemical commonly used in consumer plastics, have been now found in umbilical cord blood. And What this means is that harmful plastic chemicals are now present during incredibly vulnerable stages of fetal development. One other um, aspect that that I also find interesting is that that really hits home with the idea that plastic is everywhere, is that we now have so much plastic thrown away that we have these gigantic plastic wastelands floating in our oceans. And Plastic Island is perhaps the most well-known one. We spoke with some folks at the Algalita foundation last week and that organization was founded by captain charles moore who i believe was the first to discover this big plastic soup island they called it a gyra 
most people know about that. And I think that's a good thing because it draws their attention to look deeper into that. Now, Chris, in your book, you bring to our readers' attention some easy changes that they can make in their daily lives. Tell us more about these changes and these solutions. Sure. So with my latest book, Operation Sustainable Human, I wanted to explore this, the concept of optimized climate action. So what are the things that individuals can do that have the biggest impact? Where's our time and energy best spent? Because I found that there are hundreds of things we can do, and it can often become overwhelming for people. And um, you can often get what's what's um, referred to as paralysis by analysis, where you're hit with so many options that you often don't start any through, uh, through feeling overwhelmed. So I went really deep into the research and came to the conclusion that there are four things that account for the vast majority of emissions. And if enough of us could at least commit to those four things, we could end the climate crisis. We could become a sustainable species. So in the book, I reveal these, these four steps. And the book goes into a lot more detail, but the areas are broken down into transport, food, supplies, and system change. And the book offers a single action item in each category. And I hope that by focusing on a few changes, it makes it a lot less daunting for people. Um, so as we're talking about uh, consumption today, there's a chapter called supplies, and it, it gives the various uh, stats for people. But I tried to end with a very simple action item that was very winnable. There's a, um, there's a famous... Um, optimization expert called Tim Ferriss, who talks about if you're going to start the resolution, you should try and make it very easy so it's winnable. And he gives an example of um, if you want to floss your teeth, just floss one each night. And then the idea is that that's less daunting, so you do it and then you end up doing more. Chris, it sounds like my grandmother's old saying, it's by the inch, it's a cinch, and by the yard, it's hard. So again, start with small steps (laughs) and it's doable. Yeah, exactly. And I think then people build momentum because because they've, they've won, that they're winning at that and they, they can start to feel good about themselves. And so the action item I would ask people is just to try to consume less. And when we do consume, try to really investigate the complete cost because the items we buy, they impact more than our pockets. And I think if people just took those two things because what I worry is that I could offer a list of micro-consumerist do's and don'ts and say, don't buy this or this or this, but I don't want people to get overwhelmed because I think it's very easy with the increased awareness we experience now to be hit with a lot of anxiety. So I would just say to consume less and really try to investigate the cost. Do you think, Chris, we might see a day at some point in the future when products can have perhaps a tag like our food products have now, like canned foods, where they tell the calorie consumption as well as the percentage of fats and various other nutrients. Well, with other products, say like garments, there can be a tag that very briefly but very succinctly tells about what happens downstream, what it's really about, how much energy you're using, how much water it's using, things like that. (laughs) I think that's a great idea, actually. It's um, one I investigated in one of my first books uh, that I uh, I'd written and I talk about this that the same concept you're you're explaining essentially which is we hear a lot about how the item that we might purchase impacts our body with regards to recommended daily allowances but we don't it's a lot harder to find out how that product impacts the planet so something I was in in the UK where I'm from we have a traffic light system on a product labeling for food so it'll be either red orange or green 
based on how much sugar and, and fat it has in it, for example. And what I proposed in my first book is that we have this thing called an Earth score, which is when you purchase the product, it has a planet Earth image, and inside it has a number. And the number is the amount of Earth we would need if people were to consume that item regularly. When you say the amount of Earth we would need, what do you mean the amount of Earth? The amount of space or what? Yes, at the moment we're consuming uh, greater than a planet Earth. So at the moment, most of our items would have to be labeled at two. Oh, I see. uh, Based on the score. So ideally, what we really need to do is purchase all items would need to have a naught point number because we only have one Earth. And I, I think it's really important to live well within planetary boundaries. That's interesting and exciting. Thank you for bringing that uh, to our attention of our listeners. Chris, before we go, you know, a big part of our show is understanding the connection between our health and the environment. And there's been an increase in something we call eco-anxiety. A number of our guests over the last couple of months have mentioned this. So can you tell us more about this and why the little steps we take can really help uh, empower us our world, and our mental health? Sure. So in a study I conducted last year about this topic, actually, I found that over 90% of participants were aware of the climate crisis. They were concerned about it. They feel that it is important that they do something to help, and they want to help, but they weren't sure where to start or, or how to go about it. And I believe that this is one of the reasons we get this, something that's happening at the moment, is we get a huge rise in awareness and concern but they're often decoupled from solutions. And I think that can be incredibly anxiety-inducing for people. People often feel helpless and afraid. So I think by accompanying awareness with simple yet impactful solutions, I hope to show people that they they really can do something and they have a lot of power, even as an individual. individual. I, I really strongly believe that getting involved in the most potent solutions is one of the best ways to combat eco anxiety or Sometimes it's referred to as climate depression. Through my work, I hope to help people get out of what is perhaps the most limiting and a dangerous mindset because it's a self-fulfilling mindset that we cannot personally make a difference. Well, hopefully as we continue to find and talk with experts such as yourself, we can certainly give our listeners some alternatives. I can, however, understand how people can be anxious and have anxiety when they really listen to and internalize some of the environmental effects of what's going on. So I appreciate that you are doing this work, and we thank you. And Chris, we really appreciate you being with us today. You have certainly enlightened me and our our listeners as well. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much. We look forward to you joining us again in the future. Well, thank you, Benny. Thanks for having me. After the break, we're going to continue this episode on waste production, and we're going to key in on the waste reduction side of the equation. We're going to talk to someone who's doing some really good and interesting work on raising awareness about this problem. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. In this, our second part of this episode on waste production, we're going to look at the fact that waste is one of the biggest problems plaguing the fields of events management and production, festivals, and conferences. 
But what's interesting is that people have now recognized this, and they're now beginning to take decisive action. In fact, waste is probably the single biggest problem facing our modern music festivals today. Each of the major music festivals in the U.S., such as Coachella, Stagecoach, and Desert Trip, generate around 100 tons of solid waste each and every day of the festival. Now, that's about the same weight as approximately 78 fully loaded Boeing 727 jumbo jets. And to further put this in perspective, the average household produces around two tons of waste a year. Now, 50 years ago, music history was made in the southern foothills of New York's mountains, and that was the site of the original Woodstock Music and Art Fair. There, more than 400,000 music fans and hippies gathered in 1969 for what would become a legendary weekend of music and revelries. But the festival and its audience left another enduring legacy behind when the music ended, and that was Mountains of Rubbish. It seems astonishing that an event that was so steeped in the environmental movement at the time, should leave an environmental scar that is still visible some 50 years later. So today, to help us unpack this, we're going to be talking with guests from Youth Mundus. Youth Mundus is a global content and music festival initiative for youth. Now, when we think about festivals, again, one of the first things we think about is the waste that's created. However, this festival is quite the opposite. Rather, it built its objectives on the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, as we call them. Youth Mundus has a mission to raise awareness about important and time-sensitive social issues affecting today's global youth. Their fundamental objectives are to gather, connect, and inspire young voices from around the globe to speak up and stand up in solidarity to encourage you to believe that change is possible by promoting equality, respect, tolerance, love, solidarity, authenticity, peace, justice, unity, safety, inclusion, and humanity. All of those things necessary for us to have that unbreakable interdependence of environment and man. And so today with us, we have Ina Peterson. Ina is founder and CEO of Inner Voice Artist. They are the founder and producers of Youth Mundus. Upon completing her BA in psychology and English literature at Harvard in 2013, Ina began her career at ICM Partners. So she's got a long history in that creative and artist agency field. And now she brings all of that to the Youth Mundus event. So Ina, can you tell us a little bit more about how you started this event and about what a sustainable festival really looks like? Oh my goodness. 
first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show and for, for including our festival and the initiative. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to, to be here and speak with you, Bernice. Um, yes, so the origin of Youth Mondays really goes back to last November, believe it or not, November of 2018. So a little backstory, we run on a day-to-day basis an international media and production company called Intervoice Artists. That's specifically a new type of entertainment company that's all centered around creating opportunities for underrepresented voices across the entertainment and the media space. My specialty is film and television, and we represent around 15 clients, international clients, that are all from different backgrounds, um, different languages, and whatnot, to really take down the barrier of, you know, there should be no more fences up and in terms of, you know, what nationality you are, what language you speak, what color skin you are, or your sexual orientation. We really created this company to really break down those barriers and create more opportunities for artists within those spaces. And Youth Mondays, really interesting enough, came about, we were just discussing about everything that's happening globally with all these different movements. And as you've probably noticed, all these youth movements, they are, again, youth-driven, youth-initiated. They're not driven and initiated by policymakers. They're initiated by the youth themselves. And we were really triggered by that and just really going through social media and seeing what's out there. And just noticing everything that, you know, Fridays for Future has done with Greta Thunberg and et cetera, we were so inspired and said to ourselves, we want to do something much more. We don't want to just sit and tweet or Instagram about it. We want action, you know, because action speaks louder than words. So that's when we decided to just, you know, fearlessly jump in and, and, and come up with a sustainable model, a really festival model that could potentially appeal to global youth. So in the midst of doing our extensive, extensive research and, you know, a lot of sleepless nights and coffee pitching, I may say. Yes, I (laughs) understand. (laughs) We came across the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and that blueprint really resonated with us. It just clicked automatically because all these different goals stood for what we're passionate about and everything that we want to see be better in this world. So we decided, okay, there's 17 of them. If we're going to incorporate this business model to our festival model, obviously it's not realistic. We can't take 17 of them. So we really have to narrow it down to the top four for the first year. And then we decided, you know, obviously the environment and climate change and everything that's happening again is super pressing and super relevant and important. So we decided to have that be as one goal. And then we had LGBTQ rights as another goal, women's rights, of course, super important um, as a third goal and mental health awareness as a fourth goal. So we decided to really hone in on these four topics. But now the question was, in order to do that, because we're not experts in these various fields. And I think that's been one of the biggest things, you know, since we started this journey, we've constantly said to everyone we've spoken to, we're by no means experts. We're here to learn and we're here to grow and have this be an experience that we can incorporate to our inner voice artist company as well and not just the festival. So we can educate our clients on it. We can educate our colleagues on it, ourselves um, and whatnot. So then we decided, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to align ourselves with partners who are experts in these fields. So we decided to, one by one, go out to a few potential NGOs, nonprofit organizations. And we had no idea how these people were going to respond. You know, we just said, Colby, now, dear so-and-so, we're putting together this festival, and it's centered around youth and the UN's SDGs, and we really want to filter all content accordingly to the SDG model. And we want to have film. We want to have music. We want to have 
uh, art exhibitions. We want to have panels, all these universal topics that are so important and, and pressing in today's society. Um, so we were very fortunate enough uh, on our first call with a major organization. They said off the bat on the call. So that one partner quickly became two and two became three and three became four. And it just went on and on and on. And in the end, we ended up with over 30 official global partners that ended up partnering with us on this project. Yeah, Can I ask you, and we're going to wrap up this segment shortly, but who are some of your major partners who signed on with you all first? Certainly. Uh, we were very fortunate to sign with the largest rainforest organization called Amazon Watch. They're doing some incredible work in Brazil with the indigenous people and their indigenous people's rights and trying to protect and save the rainforest. As you know, it's a quite a human situation that Brazil is currently in. So we really decided this is super important to us and our values just aligned and we partnered with Amazon Watch. The other one was Women's March Global, which is pretty big. They're one of the largest women's rights movements that came out of the whole Me Too movement and everything. So we partnered with them and then we partnered with this beautiful organization called Right Girl based out of Los Angeles. Again, for girls' rights, they champion and fight for women to to be creative and to express their feelings and their work through creativity and just really propagating for more rights within the media and entertainment sectors for for young girls and women and then we partner up oh my goodness who did we not partner up at this point um the un were our unofficial advisors we did not officially partner up with the un but they were our unofficial advisors on this and gave us their full blessing to use the sdg logo And we had several calls with them. Great. Well, we're going to go to break, and we will resume this very interesting conversation on the other side. Thank you, Ina. We'll be right back. Thank you. We'd like to give a shout-out to our sponsors. They are EarthX, which is the world's largest environmental experience, including the annual expo and conference and several conferences, actually, in April, as well as EarthX Film, which operates year-round with their movie Mondays, as well as bringing to the area various producers and participants in groundbreaking environmental documentaries. Also, Natural Awakenings Magazine, the Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and the North Texas communities. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. And we are again talking about waste production, but we're really honing in on the waste reduction side. And we're here with Ina Peterson with Inner Voice Artist, the founder and producer of Youth Mondays, an amazing youth-oriented festival that she's going to continue to tell us about. Now, Ina, at the festival... You all worked with many alternative options to waste-producing products and activities. Tell us more about offsetting and how you're different than other festivals in these respects. Oh, my goodness. It goes back to the partners, first and foremost, really aligning ourselves with sustainability partners. One of our biggest partners is Oceanic Global who are one of the largest um, foundation for protecting our oceans. And they were our advisors in terms of recycling, and they were really one of our biggest champions. Without them, I just want to give a shout-out. This is not my specialty again. I mean, they were so incredible, you know, advising us what we should have at the festival, how she would filter the 
waste. So we had several bins of recycling. We had a glass bin, we had a plastic bin, we had all these different bins that we really were advertising and telling people to throw waste into all these different bins. And also, we had no plastic straws at the festival. It was all sustainable recycled straws. Yeah, and we partnered with this Icelandic Glacial. They're a really great water company. So what they do is their bottles are made out of renewable plastic, so it's not plastic. And one thing to keep in mind, I just want to say this, is when you're doing a festival like this, it is impossible to be 100% sustainable. You can try, I don't care who says, you know, oh, you know, you got to be 100% sustainable. It's impossible. So there's certain things you have to look at loopholes and how you're going to exchange certain things for other things. So we were really fortunate enough to get a great water company to get bins and to also get uh, some of our partners on board. For instance, we partnered with this Indian partner. His name is Dr. Banish Desai, and he's hailed as the king of waste in India. And he basically, he makes all his products. He runs a company in India, and he makes all his products out of waste. So he just recycles waste and recycles waste. So he was one of our sponsors for merchandising because we had an award ceremony at the end, and he made these awards out of waste. So he just brought them from India. You know, it was really, again, doing the research and going through also the Forbes 30 under 30 list and seeing what partners we could partner up with who specialized in waste production. So Dr. Banish Desai was one, and then Oceana Global was the biggest advisor. And then it was really, you know, when we were on the ground, it was really advising people to bring their own cups, bring their own glass bottles, um, you know, so they wouldn't have to, you know, buy plastic. You mentioned that you all use renewable plastic. Mm-hmm. What is that? Tell us a little bit more about that. So it's plastic that's been recycled. Okay. And yeah, it's really made specially to, you know, offset the carbon oxide. So it's basically just recycled, recycled, recycled. And this company is, you know, I think they're well known, but they're not super well known. But I think they should be because they're really working hard because, again, going back to the realistic expectations of running a completely sustainable festival. It's just not possible. And a lot of these other water companies out there, they're just using plastic and then, you know, regular plastic. They're not recycling their products. And that's where the big problem lies. And you have, you know, festivals that are massive out there in the world. And if you go to them, you'll see trash all over the place. But for us, we were super strict and it was on our website too and everywhere. So people knew they weren't coming into not knowing what it was. So people knew automatically what they should bring, what they, you know, were not supposed to bring. And they knew kind of how to follow the rules once they got to the venue. Now, let me ask you something else too, just stepping back a moment. Now, if Youth Mundus an annual festival? Yes, it's going to be an annual festival, and we're actually in the process of deciding where we're going to hold the next one. Where was it last year? It was in Rome in Italy. Oh, okay. Yeah, it all happened in less than a year. Uh, How, do not ask, but a lot of effort and passion. (laughs) Might it be in the U.S.? This year? I can say this. Next year, we're going to Los Angeles, so we're taking it to California, which is going to be very interesting because, again, you know, you have festivals in California already, but I don't think you have a festival that's sustainable quite the way we want it to be. You know, L.A. is such a capital for entertainment. I think it's really important to educate the biggest influencers in the world. That's what I was asking about the U.S. I think that's wonderful because it makes a very big statement. It doesn't send the message. It makes the statement, makes the message here in this country, and especially with the youth orientation. Now, how many people did you have in Rome, Ina? 
It was a four-day festival. It was about 500 people each day. And then we had um, people that flew in, youth ambassadors. We also had youth ambassadors. And that's one thing I really want to say it's super important because we didn't just create this for the youth. We created this with the youth. That's how we became aware of you all through Lily Platt and, yes. and her mother mm-hmm. a couple of, oh, probably during the middle of last month in our, our segments on uh, plastic pollution, we had a youth panel and Lily was one of those very, very impressive young people. Oh my goodness, she moderated the Amazon Watch panel and she absolutely killed it. And I'm just proud to say that she's now officially become an inner voice artist client. So I'm very excited about that. Okay. Now we also understand that you all had a cigarette butt pickup organized at the event. Could you tell us yes. a little bit more about that? So we partnered up with this organization again in Belgium. It's called Leo Not Happy, which I think the title <laughs> you know, is inspired by Leonardo DiCaprio's work. It's this young Belgian man in Brussels who basically organizes cigarette butts pickups every year. I think it's twice a year. And we decided to partner with him because it was just so inspirational what he was doing. And if you go to Rome, Rome is a beautiful city, but it's a very dirty city. And around the venue and whatnot, so many cigarette butts because Italians, they love to smoke. It's just what they do. Um, So we were like, and I was very strict here. I was like, nobody's allowed to smoke in the vicinity of the venue. Nobody's allowed to like, I don't want to see a cigarette. I don't want to see, you know, ashtrays and whatnot. And then of course, we had our youth ambassadors, and we have this other organization also come in, the FEE, which is the Foundation for Environmental Education, and we organized a whole pickup, and then they went, the youth ambassadors went, and other participants as well, and they went around the venue picking up cigarette butts. Just to send the message that, you know, it's possible to be environmentally friendly, like, you can still smoke, but hello, don't throw waste on the ground. It's just not okay. I mean, if you want to see us, you know, have a beautiful planet in the next even 15 years, I feel like 15 is not enough. You have to really be cognizant of your choices. And they're small choices, but they matter. They really do. Now, let me ask you, so what are the takeaways from the Youth Mundus Festival for litter reduction that can be translated in other arenas or other areas of our society? Oh, my goodness. I think anybody on the street, if you just ask, Every person in New York, for instance, that has a population of 17 million people, and you ask of each New Yorker that walks down the street, for instance, and you say, exchange plastic straws to recyclable straws. If you can get each person in New York to just, you know, do that, then you've accomplished a lot. And now imagine like the rest of the world. So it's the small actions again. It's not the big ones, but the small make all the difference because they lead to the longevity of towards the big ones. So I think that's super important to be aware of. You know, for instance, me, like I used to drink using plastic straws all the time. And then throughout this process, like I don't want plastic straws because I learned so much about how bad it is for our environment and what it's doing to our oceans. And I said, I don't want that. I want stainless steel. Um, Or for instance, I have my little cup here, stainless cup, where I put my coffee in every morning or in water. So it's like those little actions make a lot of difference. And then at home, I have a recycling bin. And, you know, and so if each person can just do their little part, it'll make all the difference. It will. And you all are really doing great work. One last thing, though, if you could put together, say, a checklist for festivals and other events that outlined for them how to make whatever their event is, be it a banquet, be it an expo or mm-hmm. a festival. If you could put together a checklist that outlined for them how they could make their event sustainable, what would be the top three <laughs> things on your list? The first biggest one, and this is going to sound very, you know, like, wow, is lose the egos. 
Because I think a lot of festival organizers are so arrogant and egocentric. And all they think about is, like, how am I going to make money off of this? And how am I going to get, you know, like, the biggest brands to sponsor me? And believe it or not, throughout this – and this is, again, I just want to remind everyone. This is – we did this in less than a year. Unheard of. In less than a year. And we filtered over 8,000 companies. We were on 8,000 phone calls. Our grids have grids at this point. And we said, we're not just going to partner with you because you have all the money or because you're a massive brand because you're not aligned with our values. So I think if festival organizers can just be more cognizant of the brands that they partner with and lose the ego of just going with somebody just because they're big for the sake of going with them, I think that's number one, the biggest one, because without that, you can't move on to the second. And then the second is you need to partner up with organizations. You need to, you know, especially these massive influencers in the world and celebrities, like, um, they also need to, you know, make it aware that it's super important to partner up with experts in these various fields because these, a lot of these festival organizers are not experts in sustainability. And I admit it. I was the first one to admit I did not know much about this, you know, when I first started. And now I'm just like all about it. Now you're the expert, Ina. (laughs) I'm not the expert. Well, you're you're moving forward. I'm very inspired. And we would love to see you all produce something like that sustainability checklist for expos and festivals and banquets and events like that. Because you are out there being an expert, or should I say becoming an expert. It's intentional. And so you really can't. We're definitely learning. We're learning as much as we possibly can and trying to educate ourselves because I think that's super important. And that leads me to number three is education, education, education. I don't think we can ever learn enough about this. I think it's super important to read and inform ourselves of what's happening in our world. And it doesn't matter if you're not into, you know, I don't care what people say. I'm not into politics. I don't want to be political or whatnot. But it's not about that. It's about the fact that it's a chain reaction. What happens in one country, especially the superpower that we live in, affects the whole world. It does. It does. And I am. It's musical chairs. We will have to have you back. We really appreciate your help. And we applaud y'all's work. And we certainly understand education because that's what this show is about as well. So thank you so very much, Ina. We're very glad you could join us. And we look forward to having you back, especially when you've decided upon the 2020 site for Youth Mundus. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here. But our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, in your workplaces, at the water cooler, and even in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Thank you for listening.